Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest, well, she co-founded Choose Love. She's been on our airwaves for a very long time on Radio X. And, well, she's an author and she's got a debut children's book coming out very, very soon. She's going to tell us all about it. She's mum to two. It's Leanna Bird. But it's actually Rihanna, <laughs> as I've just found out. <laughs> my strange Welsh spelling that my dad decided on, which has confused everyone I've ever met since then. So thanks for that, Dad. But, you, but your dad is Welsh, I'm guessing. My dad is Welsh. He doesn't sound Welsh. He sort of got rid of his accent when he was about 18, I think. But he spelt it with double L. So it's like Chloyd's bang, Rihanna bird. But yeah confusing everyone everywhere I go so that's why everyone calls me birdie because it's much simpler much easier I mean I love that we would all do that anyone that's got a slightly like different name just give them something that they can say that's Absolutely. that's what we need that's how friendships are made <laughs> the birdie birdie there we go nice and simple hello how are you feeling I am good I'm really happy to be here it's, thank you it's such a pleasure I was saying it's been a while since I've been on mic I took a pause from broadcasting about a year and a half ago it's so weird because I was like what do I do where do I put the cans have you've got the no buttons in no front of you or faders I'm so sorry <laughs> just press the table every now and then I something might it's happen. like riding a bike and I haven't forgotten how to talk so that's all we need isn't it <laughs> I feel like even though you're not on the radio you have been talking every day since you left so it's all oh, fine I know they can't shut me up <laughs> never stop speaking <laughs> do you miss it in the sense that I think when you're on radio and you are you know you're out and you're talking in that way with other adults and you're interacting it's very different when you are at home oh, gosh yes I know I thought it was the best job in the world and I loved it and and working on, you know, initially XFM, it was my dream radio mm. station. 
station. Mm. I grew up listening to it. So it was such a dream being there. And I loved the job and it was fantastic. But the lifestyle became not conducive with my family life yeah. and with what I wanted to do. It was the, you know, having to be in the studio every weekend, Saturday and Sunday. It's fantastic. Look, it freed me up in the week to do other stuff, which is mm -hmm. brilliant to be with the kids during the week. But I missed so many birthdays, so many weddings, so many christenings, so many moments with my friends. And I was prepared to do that. My kids came along. I was yeah. like, oh, I don't know if I can miss those moments with my kids. Not that they're about to get married or anything. <laughs> but, you know, those weekend moments that you're creating, those memories as a family yeah. um, with your friends and their kids as well that was something so important to me and I just felt like I needed to take a break from that and just step away and do other things that allow me that freedom to sort yeah. of really enjoy them while they were small yeah and how has it been it's been a ride <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that it's been a ride no listen I was wanted to be a mum honestly since I was so small I used to pretend that I was ill on holidays so that I could stay home and look after the kids in the little creche in the hotels we were no. in the little two years because I was so obsessed with little kids so I'd been dreaming about it and I was so panicked that it might never happen to me I was yeah. so worried about it and when I had my kids you know my first daughter came along I was 36 and you know, so happy to have her. And then the reality of what it is is so different to what you imagine. Yeah. So I have in many ways living my dream, but I think the reality of the kind of domestic side of it that comes along is a bit of a shock to the system. Yeah. I think like the mumming part of it is amazing. You know, the hanging out with your kids and spending time with them and being in that magical, strange children world that, you know, there's funny things they talk about and say and do. It's just magical. But all the kind of the the domestic stuff, the laundry, the washing, the yeah. cleaning up after them, and also the logistics. I'm so unorganised. Honestly, I haven't been to the dentist myself for like five years, and suddenly you're responsible for like the admin of these little people <laughs> and like where they're going and how they're getting there and the health and, and well-being of them. And it's that's quite overwhelming. And yeah. I'm like in a really lucky position as well. You know, I can get some help. I've got a great partner, so. I empathise with people who are like, you know, doing it on their own. And I know I'm really lucky, but I hadn't really thought about that, I think, yeah. before I had kids. I just thought it was all going to be trips to the zoo and <laughs> to the seaside. And and I don't mean, I don't know what it's like in your house, but I find that my day with the kids is very different to a Tom day with the kids if one of us is away. I spend so much of the day doing the dishes, doing the washing, doing all that stuff. Whereas I'll come home if he's had them and everything is an absolute mess, but they have had the best day ever. Yeah, I suppose probably like you and Tom in a way, we kind of have to take turns a yeah. bit in terms of who's more present at home and who's working. But my partner's work, you know, he's been really full on like the last seven months. He's basically been filming three shows back to back and it's been a lot. Even when I'm working and when I'm away, I still feel like the CEO of the family. <laughs> so like, even if I'm not there and he's there and he's doing it and he's, you know, absolutely acing it as a dad, I'm still like managing it. So <laughs> it's that side of things that, and I, my brain is not, doesn't work like that anyway, but I'm like, okay, the logistics of how they're getting to school and who's picking up from nursery and like that side of things. I don't think you ever shut off or yeah. certainly I've taken on that role. I was talking about it the other day on Instagram and, and loads of women were messaging me about this, about how like this role of just a mum actually encompasses so many jobs. Yeah. And I think the CEO of the family is quite yes. a good way to describe it. But you are like, in many cases, like the chef, the chauffeur, the admin, the PA, the medic, like all these different therapists. <laughs> and it's like, it can be, you know, such an all encompassing job. And then to try and balance that with other things, if you've got other aspirations and ambitions, or even yeah. just to just like be yourself and hang out with your friends, just to 
have that side of you as well. It's a challenge, even for someone in a locked position like me. you are switched on the whole time. Like yeah. you're constantly thinking about, you know, what's happened before, what's happening now, what's going to happen next. Like there's so many things that you need to be juggling just the parent side. Yeah. It's funny because I spent 16 years doing music radio and blasting music into my ears and, you know, quite full on <laughs> music in some cases and loving it and DJing around the world. You know, yeah. I've been in festivals and just playing the loudest music and getting the crowds going. And my partner said to me the other day, he was like, you can't listen to loud music anymore, can you? And I was like, I can't because I'm so like overwhelmed. The kids are asking me for things and talking to me that when there's like Nirvana playing or something in the background or, you know, just something a bit heavier and a bit more full on that's distracting. Like my brain's like going, I can't listen to my children and do this and have the music. Yeah. So it's like I've sort of shut down and I need to have quiet and calm to deal with being a parent. Yeah, but it's just another noise. It's another thing grabbing your attention. I'm lucky with the washing machine. <laughs> Honestly, I have to shut the door so I can't hear the washing machine because it feels like it's just that one sound too many. Yeah. So I need to shut it it's out. It's the overstimulation. And it's funny because I'm a person that only gets things done when there's a lot going on. Mm. So I can't write unless there's like noise and distraction of people. I have to have someone to sit with me in order to like wipe a surface I can't do it for I'm on my own because it feels like homework but if someone sat with me I'll like reorganize my cupboards write an essay like do whatever I need to do but I have to have people around me so it's quite weird that I now have to have this like quiet moments it's quite a contradiction <laughs> but yeah there we go we're all a bit of a contradiction aren't we <laughs> yeah we are I feel like there aren't that many moments of stillness as parents you know even when you're trying to put the kids to bed it doesn't feel very still yeah and the naps like I remember when my oldest was a baby and she you know you've got all the different naps god the naps I feel like traumatized even saying the word naps because I became obsessed with like the nap schedule in my house but um, I remember when she was napping and everyone was like sleep when the baby sleeps you must sleep too and I was like yeah that'd be really great but my mind is going at a thousand miles an hour and I have to do this and that and this and that and, like and you're trying to like get everything done and I remember people saying to me well why don't you just sleep other than the fact that my brain was kind of on overdrive it was also like well this is my only moment to do something yeah. that I might like even if that is watching some you know reality tv or texting your mates or whatever it's just a moment when you belong to yourself so it's also why we stretch out that time after the kids go to bed because it yeah. feels like yours and I mean I'm really guilty of staying up later watching an extra episode of inside number nine or succession or whatever it is you just end up going yeah, I feel to like these are late. good choices though I'm like watching millions of episodes of like selling sunset like <laughs> things I'm like I can't cope with anything that I have to think for I watched a doc like a kids documentary on butterflies that my five-year-old wanted to watch the other day and I was like I think this is the most intelligent tv I've watched in a really long time and it was her choice but it is that you should be going to bed because you know you're exhausted and you have to go up in the morning but you just want to have yeah. adult time but even then that's like zombie TV let it come in let it wash over you you know it's, it's easy easy yeah. access I know I discovered reels about I know I'm really late to the party I'm going to sound like a granny here but I didn't know about the whole like flicking reels thing Yeah. and I discovered it and then like I spent about a week just staying up in bed <laughs> watching all these like videos and then I was like what am I doing and I actually made a pact with myself three days ago yeah. and this is, I was with my two best friends from school and they've been my best friends for like decades and they were talking about all the books they've been reading. And I was sitting there listening to them and I was like, I don't think I like have that much time at the moment to read books. And they were like, you do. You, 
you're just looking at your phone at bedtime, aren't you? And I was like, I am. So I've made a pack now that I'm reading to go to sleep. That's so, and so good. I, it's only been three days. And how is it going? How far into that book are I'm you? I'm loving it. I, it's a book I've had since January that it's like taking me till now to read half of it. I'm one of those people that you go on holiday and you get through like four books in a week. Yeah. But in real everyday life, you just get distracted and there's kids, there's phones, there's TV, there's all the rest of it. And I was such an avid reader when I was younger. So yeah. getting back to that in the last three days <laughs> well, it's been a life-changing experience these last three days of my well um, I do something now where I download the audio of the book and I have the book so I'll, if I'm on like the school run on the way back I'll listen to some of the books so I feel like I've read some move. Mm. I feel like that's something I would say I would do and then I'll just listen to trash <laughs> I thought I would learn Spanish you know become like fluent at Spanish on the school runs just not happening I'm just singing <laughs> along to the greatest hits. I love that <laughs> What was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? I had a really lovely childhood. I was very lucky. I grew up in London. Yeah. So in West London, kind of around Labbock Grove area. And then we moved a bit more west. And my mum was originally a social worker. Mm-hmm. I thought she didn't work when I was little. And I remember saying to her like, yeah, no, 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 because you were a stay-at-home mum when we were little. This was just the other day. And she was like, no, no, I worked. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I remember her being so present. But I think that's a testament to her because when she was around, she was obviously so present. Yeah, She did half days, so right. she was around a lot. My dad was an architect, a Welsh architect. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I have an older sister. I still have an older sister. A dog, cat, really lovely, lucky childhood. And we spent half of the time in Devon. Mm-hmm. So we'd go down where my How dad's... How comes Devon? Well, my dad's best friend lived in Devon and they had like, you know, four kids. It was very wild. And, you know, there was like chickens running everywhere and we just sort of be naked and running around and just kind of climbing trees and you know it was all that kind of vibe it was amazing I loved it I found it such a kind of altering experience that I don't think I really realized until now yeah and now when I go out with my kids you know to the parks and to the heath and I feel like that that childhood memories creeping back yeah so I think I was really really lucky and to have that split as well between being Devon and a bit wild to living in London where it would have been it was a good balance. And then my parents separated when I was in my teens. Mm. But I think I was probably had had enough of a time with them in a way to not be too traumatised yeah. by it. I mean, so many people grow up in families where the parents aren't together. But obviously it does have an effect on a child. It was OK. And I think now... I look back at it with a very different viewpoint to at the time, which is that my parents must stay together mm. no matter what. And now I go, they're much happier with their partners now. And yeah. it's all, it's all well, okay. We had films like Parent Trap and stuff where, you know, <laughs> children were trying to get their parents back together. Yeah, you know, that's what we were told. I was definitely full to... on Parent Trap. Me and my <laughs> sister were like full on in that zone of session. But now we look back and we go like, it was the right thing at the time. But, you know, I think, like I said, I had that kind of time with this very sort of idyllic childhood before it all happens. So I feel quite lucky. Really. Yeah. yeah. And did you look ahead to you growing up and having a family of your own? Yeah, absolutely. So my mum started as a social worker, as I said, then she became a potter and she was an artist. So our childhood was so... A, pot- a pot- potter, yeah. Oh, I didn't know there was a term for it. Yeah. A potter, she's not really into she's Harry not, Potter. Well, she's she doesn't just, potter around the house. <laughs> she's a full-time potterer. She, yes, she sort of had a second career. She did like a city and guild course yeah. and started making these very beautiful sculptural pots. What an amazing thing as a child, though, to see your mum kind of go, actually, although you didn't realise she worked, but to kind of go... <laughs> My mum suddenly went, no, no, she's just changed her career. Yeah, she was so creative. She is so creative still. So she gave us this really magical childhood. Yeah. You know, she used to put 
put on these plays with me and all my friends and she'd make all the costumes and all the sets and she'd write the scripts and we had this really magical artistic childhood so I think I was so desperate to have that again with my own kids yeah and so much of the stuff you get to do with kids is the weird crafty arty stuff that they Mm -hmm. just absolutely gobble up yeah really excited I think my mum really sort of instilled that into me and like I said when we used to go on holidays and I used to pretend to feel sick so that I could stay and <laughs> babysit the little kids that were left at the hospital in the hotel crash. So obviously, yeah, I was just waiting. But it wasn't too late, but 36 isn't early. And I think I'd... Did you have a number in your mind? I wanted to have them earlier than that. But I'm actually, with hindsight, really glad because I was a geriatric mum on the form. It's so ridiculous, awful. isn't it's it? so awful. I know, when you see it, you're 36 and they're like, OK, so you're a geriatric mum. And you're like, oh, gosh. I felt like if I'd have done it earlier, I wouldn't have done all these things that I wanted to do in my life, which allowed me to, I'm going to use my friend's expression here, but let myself off the hook for the first year of motherhood. Yeah. So a friend of mine, Dawn, said to me when I was pregnant, she said, you know, one piece of advice I'm going to give you is to, for your first year, let yourself off the hook. Like Mm -hmm. just allow yourself to not feel you have to keep up with everyone and everything and do what feels good for you. She'd been so busy in her first year and she was like, just learn from me and just take it at your own pace. And I think I did that partly because of her advice, partly because it felt right, but also because I was at an age where I'd tick some boxes for myself, yeah, which allowed me to feel like I could do that. And I think, you know, whatever age you are, you should be able to let yourself off the hook, so to speak. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, not everyone can take time off work, but if you can and you want to, to allow yourself to do that. But I think we have so much pressure on ourselves to do it all mm-hmm. and to keep up with things and to not get left behind. And so I'm glad I waited a little bit because I think for me personally, felt like, okay, it's okay to take a pause and it's okay if I'm not climbing that career ladder and doing what, all these do things. Do you feel like that was part of your sort of decision to wait was that kind of wait because you just don't know what's going to happen especially in the entertainment industry you know how things shift and move and there's new voices and yeah I had a bit of a wild ride just before I had my first daughter Dali so I was working on radio I was doing podcasting as well and our podcast got picked up by a publisher who wants to make it into a book so I got commissioned to write 90,000 words in four months which (laughs) as I'm sure you know it's quite the task And just after I signed the contract for that, we started Choose Love. At the time, it was called Help Refugees. And we initially intended it to be a kind of couple of weeks of just fundraising. It just steamrolled into something so incredible and so big. And we had so much support coming in. It was really overwhelming. And we felt like we couldn't get off this ride because we had this opportunity to really help. Yeah. And to really channel this wave of support that the public wanted to give and they needed a way to do it. And so we ran with that. And it became all-encompassing. So I was doing the charity, the radio on the weekends and the book. And I was just working all hours, basically. And I didn't have days off. And that carried on for nearly a year. Mm -hmm. And then I got really sick. So my body just, like, I started waking up in the morning covered in hives. No. And initially I was like, oh, I'm allergic to the washing powder or there's something. And it kept on happening. And then I woke up one morning and (laughs) I was going about my day and my face blew up. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone with a peanut allergy, but you know their face is just, I mean, it's unbelievable. Like my lips were huge, my eyes were huge, and I looked completely different. And so I went to the doctors and they didn't know what was wrong. And eventually they discovered it was an autoimmune condition. And the doctor just said to me, you've got to reduce the stress in your life. You're never going to get pregnant if you, because he knew I was trying for a baby. He was like, it's never going to happen. Like your body 
is in distress, basically. Mm. And so I had a sort of really difficult moment where it was like these things I'd built and this work I was doing that I loved and these, you know, the career side of things and that... And I could see with Choose Love as well, you know, how much good it was doing. But then on the other hand, I really wanted to have kids. So I decided in the end to take a step back and mm. pause and give myself a break. Everyone was so supportive about it. But it is really hard when you have to, you know, sometimes make these decisions. I think, you know, everyone talks about, you know, can you have it all? And I think you probably can have it all, but maybe not always at the same time. Mm. So sometimes you do need to separate things out. And it's really hard to take the break off one thing to allow the other thing to blossom. It's quite a challenge mentally to do yeah. that. So I think that was my challenge. I love that way of looking at it, though. You probably can, but a different time. Because I think actually having it all at one time, that's really overwhelming. How do you enjoy everything when yeah. you have it all at once? Everyone's in a different position, mm. you know, financially and in terms of their support. And so some people are lucky enough to be able to make a choice and they can choose either they want to go back to work really early and throw themselves back into work and that's great and valid or they really want to stay home and just really soak up being with kids that's great and valid but when you're trying to do both some people must be amazing at it because you Mm -hmm. see them doing it and they're just nailing it and acing it but it I end up not being good at either yeah (laughs) or feeling guilty when I'm doing either so for me I felt like I needed to try and separate them out and just have like time to do one and then slowly rebuild and my kids are getting to an age now you know they're two and five and life feels a bit calmer yeah suddenly so I feel like I can be focused a little bit more on myself again and pushing that kind of side of things um, a bit more and health-wise when you did decide to take a step back how long did it take for you to feel like you were you know back to you There was a lot of different things I had to do to get well. So on the one hand, I had to really take my foot off the pedal with work, especially the charity work was really stressful, as you can imagine, because we were dealing with some very difficult situations and some people in really deep distress as well. So that was quite hard because we were a startup as well. You know, we didn't have the necessarily the systems and the structures that are in place today to support that. So I had to take my foot off a lot of that and then eating healthily, trying to sleep, meditate. I found meditating so hard. <laughs> Bernie, we've been in this room for like 20 minutes and I could already tell you, you have so much going on. Frantic <laughs> head. I, my friend, one of my really good friends took me to a gong bath once. He's like, come to the sound bath. We're going to like bathe in the gongs. I've never been more miserable. I lay there for an hour just lying on the floor going, when can I get up? When can I stand up? Yeah. So meditation was a challenge. But I used to do the Headspace app every right. day. It's good. I think the more frantic you are, the more you probably can benefit from yeah, it. It's the more just you need it. Your body's resisting it. And then also I found a really amazing doctor. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole on the internet to find a person that understood about mast cells and about histamine and the specific kind of disorder I had. And he just went, you need steroids and you need to be on heavy steroids and then we're going to wean you off. And I've been symptomless since then. So it's amazing. It is amazing, but it was also a real wake up call that Unless you have the resources and the finances sometimes to advocate for yourself medically, you can get left behind. And Mm -hmm. I feel so lucky that I knew how to, and I had the time and the resources to dig around in the internet and find this specialist. Mm -hmm. And then also had the financial means to pay for him. So it was a bit of a wake up call about how other people navigate these kinds of circumstances in very different ways. Mm. And I felt really, really lucky that after, I think it was about a year of it, that I was able to basically 
get better completely. Yeah. So And get pregnant and have babies. But I mean, with that though, because if you were already trying, did you have to take the foot off in that respect to get yourself well oh, before? Probably should have, but no. I was like, <laughs> I'm like obsessive. So when I was like, right, I've decided I want to have a baby, it was like nothing would push me off that path I'm like really steaming yeah my partner and the doctors everyone were like why don't you just get well first and I was like nope and I almost made getting well a job up late at night reading research papers and finding scientific kind of research around it and reading about every probiotic and just really obsessive and um starting to say talking to you going like what's wrong with me (laughs) this is like my therapy now (laughs) all coming out I'm glad we can Um, help (laughs) but yeah I couldn't get steered away from the path of I will have a baby this is what I want to do right now and this is what we're going to do and I was very determined Mm. Um, I just felt it was the right time and I was really scared that if I left it later it wouldn't happen yeah I just think so many people probably have that fear in the back of their heads yeah and, and you know, since the age of 30, I remember thinking, like, what if it won't happen to me? Yeah. And panicking. But also, I think we spend so much of our lives with parents going, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, yeah. don't get pregnant. <laughs> or then you take that on yourself, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant. So then when you do suddenly go, well, actually, now I want to get pregnant, can it actually happen? Because yeah. I've been saying no for so long. I know. And they never tell you at school, you know, that actually, for some people, it's a challenge. Mm. And it's not always that easy. And when you start looking at the odds of it, you know, the odds <laughs> yeah. of even me and you being alive, you're like, wow, that's... <laughs> like so far out like that we're even here when you look at the kind of odds of all the things that have to happen to create a life yeah it is kind of magical really can you remember finding out you were pregnant the first time I think I was in shock actually I think I was in shock I think I really really didn't think it was going to happen because of what happened with being so unwell I didn't think it would happen so soon and I didn't think I just was so didn't really know how to react I was kind of scared of it not working out as well so I was scared to be too happy mm-hmm. um so I was really tentatively happy at the beginning and then you know as it goes on and you go for the checks and you get the scans yeah. and eventually you're like okay this is actually happening and then I was in heaven <laughs> because I didn't know what was in store around the corner <laughs> I was in my ignorance bliss. <laughs> I actually was so afraid of giving birth. That I focused on that. Yeah, I don't know why. And I, I mean, I know why, because we talk about it so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so worried about that, that I didn't really think about the part after. Well, I don't think anyone <laughs> does. I think it's like getting married. All people focus on is the wedding day. You know, it's the wedding day or it's the giving birth. No one ever thinks beyond that and what that what and, that means and what I think is funny about the whole birth thing as well is because you plan and you plan and you think about all this like how do I want it and what do I want and then it comes to it and everything goes out the window for me anyway I had done all this like hypnotherapy and you know get my tens machine and I was all like mother earth and then it came to the contractions and I was like I just want to throw the tens machine across the room and watch <laughs> Queer Eye and that is what I'm going to do. I need to watch reality TV. And I basically watched Queer Eye for about 10 hours. Did during you? During my first labour. Yeah, that's what I did. I went into labour. My partner and I were going to bed. It was 11 o'clock. So he was asleep. And I had a contraction. And I was like, I got this. I'm going to be fine. I'm just going to wake up him up. Few hours yeah, like when it. things, you know, they <laughs> talk about the timing and not to go too early. So I was like, I'm just going to watch Queer Eye. I'm going to throw my tens machine away. I'm going to watch Queer Eye. And I just sat there and watched it. And then after about six hours of me watching it, Noel came in and he was like, 
why are you mooing? <laughs> and what are you doing? And I was just sat there with my le- laptop kind of making very loud mooing noises. And he was like, what is happening? We have to go to the hospital. I was like, no, it's a really good episode. Tan has just told them that they found this amazing outfit. And he was like, okay, put the laptop down. We're getting a taxi. We're going to hospital. And I was like, can we bring the laptop, please? And he was like, we can bring the laptop. So we brought well, the laptop. Tell her it's your phone. It's okay. Come on. We brought it. We did bring it. And it was with us through the entire... So birth. had you done hypnobirthing leading up to that? I had tried it and I you know, I think it's amazing and I think people who do hypnobirthing are incredible. I wish I was the person who liked the gong baths and did the hypnobirthing. But I would say even in that six hours <laughs> of just watching Queer Right, you filled your, you know, your brain with something that made you happy. I don't know if reality TV and hypnobirthing are exactly I the same, say, but I like, I like the way you're reframing it. <laughs> More power to you. I actually, I had the pleasure of meeting Tan some years later. And I was like, you were with me when I had my first baby. And he was like, oh, wow, okay, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, I say the same thing about Michael McIntyre. I've not met him yet, but that would be an interesting conversation. Was he with you during, like, was he listening? Yeah, I was was watching it. You're watching, brilliant. Okay, so me and you both needed the visual distraction a bit of funny a bit of humor yeah i found the hypnobirthing lady's voice i just like when i was in pain and listening to her being like you know soothe away the pain i just i really wanted to hit her i sounds really awful i was just like (laughs) she's really really annoying me now just stop telling me that it doesn't hurt it really really hurts but tan and jonathan and all the gang bobby they all just made it all seem okay so (laughs) like they do that's what they do with life i shouldn't have advocated violence against hypnotherapy (laughs) tape audiobook ladies my watch tells me to breathe just take a moment i'm like fuck off because it's always in moments that i'm actually like stuff's going on i don't need to take a breath right now actually (laughs) i'm feeling the frustration i'm gonna take it out on you So how was it when you actually got to the hospital? I was really lucky. I had a really lovely obstetrician. She is actually the boss of my school friend, who is also an obstetrician. Ah. So I felt really, really spoiled and really looked after. I had to be induced because my waters broke too early. So the kind of plan went a bit out the window and I was watching Queer Eye and I was having my contractions and I was really convinced that I I was like, I don't know why now I look back at it. I'm like, why didn't I just go straight for the painkillers? But I was convinced that I didn't need it. Yeah. And then they induced me and the pain goes of the contractions, which I felt was manageable goes for suddenly from 0 to 100 yeah. because they have to bring it on really fast. And I remember I was just screaming, like, give me the epidural. <laughs> so and I got the epidural and for me it was heavenly. And I was like, why didn't I just do this in the first place? So with my second child, when they were like, let's talk about the plan. I was like, the plan is the epidural and that is it. And they were like, you mate. I was like, no, I, I, I just want that. And some TV. <laughs> it was Mrs. Maisel for my second daughter. That's what I watched. I've <laughs> never seen that. Yeah, that was my birth plan. TV. And epidural, done. <laughs> um, and I'm out. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I think it's such a personal thing. Like, some people want the hip and birth thing, they want all of that. And actually, it doesn't matter what anyone wants. It's just in that moment, your baby coming out and you both being happy and safe. Absolutely. And I remember thinking, you know what? When you're pregnant and you start getting fed all these sort of stories and facts about, like, what's best for baby and if you can do it this way, then, you know, you're a champion and you feel like you have to do things a certain way in order to 
have succeeded. Mm. And actually, I remember my obstetrician said to me, she said, you know what, if a baby comes into the world and the mum is in a good place and not necessarily in pain, you know, and is happy and able to cuddle that baby, then that's great as well. You know, yep, like more power. If you can do it without painkillers and you can do it natural and all the rest, that is amazing. But if you need painkillers and you bring the child into birth and you're calm because of that and relaxed, there's also benefits to that. So I think, again, it was that whole thing of letting yourself off the hook. And I'm really lucky I had a great obstetrician who kind of mentally was like can you just stop listening to all these books and voices and you know social media things telling you that there is only one way to do it to have succeeded at being a mom like get the baby here safely you be okay baby be okay and that's that's all that matters so there's little nuggets isn't it Mm. of of wisdom that really force their way through I can remember a friend of mine said to me when I was pregnant with my first she said you don't get an extra medal You should. (laughs) All the medals, please. (laughs) Doesn't matter how you bring your baby into the world. You know, you're not getting anything extra. Exactly. And I think it's about the experience for you. If it's important for you to do it a certain way or to, you know, to not use certain things. And that's amazing. If you feel great doing that, then that's great. But yeah, I think the first time was a bit of a trial run for me. And I knew exactly what I wanted the second time. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Uh, What was it like meeting your daughter for the first time? I really want to say that it was like this magical, amazing moment full of love because that's what everyone else says. But I can remember her being kind of dropped on my chest and, you know, they're quite sort of wet and slippery and red. And I remember just thinking, oh, she looks a bit like a baby octopus. (laughs) (laughs) And then it was like, then she cried and then it was like this moment and, you know, she nuzzled in and started breastfeeding. And, you know, it was really amazing. It was quite overwhelming as well. But that was my first thought was little baby octopus on me. <laughs> All my dreams were true. It's an octopus. <laughs> I, my pregnancy dreams were wild. I had dreams that I was giving birth to a cat. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> didn't happen? It didn't no. happen. No. But thank God it wasn't an octopus because, you know. <laughs> but I think the first night is overwhelming as well. Obviously. Yeah. And I don't think I was prepared for the pain of it all. You know, your womb starts contracting back yeah and so that was quite painful and I remember thinking like hold a minute here we were told that birth was painful and then we were done what is this so that was all quite a lot and it's just all a bit of a whirlwind a bit of a blur I completely forget about that stuff though you know the fact that everything's kind of the ache of it all that happens I found those contractions quite painful for me personally I mean again everyone's body's different but it was more just not expecting it and no Mm -hmm. one had really told me about that that I just didn't know what was going on really and you're just knackered aren't you you're just knackered and you don't know what you're doing and also there was just that feeling that I'm sure most parents feel for the first time when they're just like I just don't believe that someone thinks that I'm responsible enough to keep this (laughs) human being alive why why am I in charge (laughs) where's the person telling me what to do I'm the child surely but you're also put in that position of having to care for this little human who will Mm. depend on you for everything when you are at your most depleted and most vulnerable Yeah, absolutely. And you're most tired as well. The sleep is something you can't prepare for, actually. Mm. And also, if you choose to breastfeed, you know, that is such a minefield of information. And, you know, I mean, some people do it very much more, you know, natural and just kind of on and off. And some people try and make it more structured. And I just feel there's so many options and so many things that can go wrong and be a challenge. Mm. And no one told me about burping. And that was like, Honestly, no. One of my biggest. Well, I knew that you burped the baby yeah. between during the feed, 
but the things that could go wrong. And with both my babies, they would swallow like the most enormous amount of air. And I got so much advice of like what to do. And it was just something to do with the curve of the top of their mouths. Right. And I need to burp them about 20 times per feed. It was exhausting. People talk about nappies and about the birth. Why has no one talked to me about the trauma of trying to get a burp out of baby? So we'd literally have to feed for a little while. But like, would the, I would feed and wait. then I would burp, but then there'd be like the other burp, and it was just like constantly, constantly. And then you know the baby's crying and uncomfortable, yeah. and you're trying to put them down for the nap, but there's just more air, more air. Yeah, with both my babies, just a lot of issues around that, and it makes the feeds really long. Yeah, and then they're exhausted, and then you're exhausted, and then they have to feed again, and then they have to feed again, <laughs> and then when they're not feeding, then you're pumping because you're yeah. trying to you know give yourself a break so someone else can give them a bottle at night. So, I think you know with hindsight. I don't know what I could have done. I wish I'd just given myself a bit of a break on the breastfeeding as well because I was so... Did you have it in your mind that that's what you wanted to do? Yeah. And put pressure on yourself? I put so much pressure on myself. I didn't think I would be that way. I thought yeah. I'd be very just like, you know, a fed baby. as a happy baby, right? Yeah. A happy mum, a happy baby. And if the baby's full and the tummy's full and they're getting the nutrients, that's what matters. But you just... It's like with the birth, it's like you feel like if you don't do X, Y, Z then you've somehow failed yourself. And it's just so couldn't be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. Because what children really need is a parent who is not distressed, who yeah. can look after them and give them love. And there's so many different ways to feed a baby. And But I was so obsessive about I must breastfeed exclusively for X amount of time. And I really was on a bit of a blinkered path of it. And I remember with my first daughter, the doctor saying, well, she's losing weight and she's dropping percentiles the anxiety around that well that's my fault because my only job is to feed her and I, she's not getting enough milk and I did the worst thing you can do as a new parent I bought scales to weigh the baby no yeah and I started weighing her not just every day but after every feed to check that she'd had enough I mean it was just nuts and now I look back at it and I'm like what was I doing but then the second baby came along and I was like I am going to do it so differently like that was such a waste of time. Like, she was fine. Mm. I remember there was this amazing lactation consultant and I was texting photos of my daughter going, they're saying that she's losing weight and I'm just not feeding her enough and should I give her for me? And she was, like, looking at the photos going, that baby's fine. Like, she's got chunky little legs and chunky little rolls around her chin. Like, she's fine. And I remember thinking with my second, I'm going to do this so differently. I'm going to be so chilled out. I'm just going to be, like, floating around, like, pop her on the boob whenever and just... And I was exactly the same. Really? Exactly the same. I learned nothing from my past experiences. It was just something in me, like, with the feeding, just tapped into something, I don't know, that I just felt like this is my job. I must feed them. They must only have breast milk. Well, and you never know how much they're getting. That's yeah, the thing with that's, breastfeeding. You just, you never know. That's the hardest thing. Yeah. You know, you just reminded me, because I remember at the time, I really wanted to write this, like, bullet-pointed guide for parents that were really, really tired of, like, things... To help. And I remember thinking, like, you can't tell how much they've had, which is why I started weighing her after yeah. the feed. Because I thought then I could see how much she's had. I mean, Were honestly, you making note of how much she weighed? Yeah. After? It was just kind of obsessive. You know, you get through it. It's all a phase, isn't it? And you yeah. do get through it. And now, like, I'm talking to you and all these things are coming back. Like, I'd forgotten all this stuff. Yeah. I'd forgotten about the scales and the pumps and all that kind of stuff. I wish I had let myself off the hook a little bit more with that because I think... I had a lot of anxiety at the time around it that wasn't needed. And 
you know, like I said, there's just so many different ways to feed a baby. And as yeah. long as they're happy and you're happy, that's what but counts. But it's the pressure that you put on yourself. Absolutely. The pressure you put on yourself, and I think society does have a lot to answer for. I think mums are held to such a standard. Whatever you do, you're getting judged by somebody. We're judging ourselves, but we're also, we are being judged. And I think even if people don't criticise you for doing it a certain way, they praise you for doing it another way. Mm. Oh, well done. Oh, you're still breastfeeding. Well done, you. Mm-hmm. And so then that puts it in your head. Okay, well, if I stop then I'm not getting that praise and I must be doing something wrong. So it's those little comments I don't think people realise. Yeah. You know, you can do it when someone has a baby and they lose a bit of weight. Oh, you're looking so great. Like, well, you think you're giving them a compliment, mm-hmm. right? But actually what you're telling them is, well, if you don't continue on that path, you're not doing well. And especially if you're a bit of a people pleaser and someone yeah. who's like looking for world validation, mm-hmm. end up. <laughs> you know, you crave that kind of validation. And, oh, you're right, I'm doing something right. Okay, I'm succeeding as a mum because... This doctor's telling me, well done. You mm-hmm. know, this person's saying, oh, good for you, girl, you know, lucky baby. And it's just all those little comments that get in your skin. I think as a whole, as a society, we should sort of stop and just think about how we talk to new mums and how we judge them. And I just think there's so much pressure that doesn't need to be there. And like I said, I come from a position where I had support. I had resources and other people don't. And mm. I just feel so much empathy for those people who are just doing it on their own. And then having the world looking at them and judging them for their choices. Did you get to a point with your breastfeeding that everything sort of settled? With my first daughter, I breastfed her till she was 15 months old. And I think it was about six months that suddenly, you know, she could sit up. Yeah. I don't know if I'm getting the timings a little bit wrong. Someone's going to be like, the babies can't sit up at six months. But I think it was around (laughs) when she started to be able to sit up that she could kind of burp herself. Yeah. And it was when the burping side of it and the winding side of it kind of sorted itself out that suddenly it became easy for me Mm. and it became enjoyable and it was like the nice cuddles at bedtime and in the morning so I really enjoyed my breastfeeding journey with her with with my second daughter I really was determined because I was like well the first one had this so the second one must have exactly the same but she's just such a different baby and they were so different to each other and she just like didn't really want the boob I don't know if it was the position or just Mm. she's just this amazing little girl and she knows exactly who she is and she knows exactly who she wants and she just didn't really want the boob and I was like but she must have the boob it's bonding and it's this and it's that so what I ended up doing for her after a couple of months is I was like okay I'm not gonna fight her anymore like this is now like ridiculous (laughs) I'm just gonna pump obsessively so then I was attached to a pump until 15 months because she had to have exactly the same as the first one <laughs> and I was things that we oh, put in our head if I hear a sound of a breast pump <laughs> mm, 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 I have like flashbacks and I like have to go lie down because I was just hooked up to the pump all the yeah. time and then the washing and the sterilizing so it's yeah, a whole other thing yeah. but very different journeys and that is the other thing you learn and I feel like it's almost like so obvious that why didn't I know this? Because everyone else knows this. But I really, really thought that the way my first daughter was, was like so down to what I'd done. She didn't have tantrums at two. And mm. I was like, this is just because I am this very calm parent who's instilled this amazing like character in my child. She ate really, really well until she was two. And again, I was like, well, if you give your child a very, very diet at the beginning and you did it, you know, pat, pat, pat. 
comes the second one, whole different story. And I was like, well, more for me for being that smug parent who thought that I was nailing it. I wasn't nailing it. I just got lucky. Mm. And my second one was a whole different story. And both of them, when they got to two, went from being really good eaters to like, I only wanted to eat bread and cheese and pasta. Like, <laughs> and, you know, and again, I was like, OK, here I am saying to the parents, like, yeah, it's just that I give them these really amazing rainbow meals. And then I'm like, OK, now I'm the parent who's like, <laughs> please, please eat one piece of pasta, please. And you can have loads of ice cream. Just have one piece of pasta. I'm that parent now. And so it's a really good just wake up call to me. Like, don't judge any other parent on yeah. anything they do. Because firstly, that could be you in mm-hmm. a month's time. You just don't know. They change so fast. A lot of it's down to the luck of the draw. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know that I found myself in times where I've got a child that's maybe acting in a way that's a bit more challenging, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you're looking at other people's kids who are so nice and calm and eating everything or sleeping all the time. And actually, it changes. You know, it's the whole this teacher past thing. No matter what they're doing, whether it's a time where everything's going really well and everyone's happy, it will always go. And also, I think there's just a pick your battles moment as well. You know, it's a lot of parenting I find as well is, you know, going, please don't do this, don't do that. And, you know, so we must do it this knows, way. Yeah. And like, it's kind of counter to what, who I think I am, which is the live your best life. Yeah. Like you just enjoy like, you know, anarchy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's how I've tried to kind of live my own life, just like this real freedom. And so then to suddenly be telling these little people like, no, you mustn't do that. And you must. So I've tried to kind of pick my battles a little bit so that it's not a constant don't do this. And yeah. so things like, I see other kids and they sit really nicely and eat their meals. Well, my kids are rolling on the floor, <laughs> like with their pants in the air and like food on their hair. And I'm just like, you know what? You want to roll, like walk around the room when you eat and graze? Fine. And I'm sure I will get judged in the restaurant for it. But they're having a good time. And we put some music on and have a dance and like mealtimes have become more fun. Mm-hmm. And so for us, that's what works. And I just... Is it that like embracing it then rather than fighting against every move? Kind yeah. of embracing the fact they are kids. They are kids. My partner's such a like fun time dad and he's magical and he kind of makes the silliest little moments, you know, having breakfast a real moment. Mm. And I think I've just really leaned into that and just gone like, this is amazing. Like we're getting to have porridge and it's funny and it's fun and we're wearing silly hats and we're dancing and that's okay. Like Mm -hmm. maybe someone else's kids are going to have a little, you know, a few more spoonfuls of porridge because they're sat and it's going to be quicker and they're eating it properly and they're digesting it properly. (laughs) But, um, you know, my kids are having a lot of fun. So I'm just like, well, I'm just going to lean into that and kind of stop myself being the don't do that, mum. Yeah. <laughs> well, so if you think back to your Devon days and that feeling of being a kid and having that freedom, mm. you want to grab that and give it to your kids. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there's there's a downside to it, right? Because your kids are rolling around on the floor eating or someone's got to clean up that mess afterwards, <laughs> right? <laughs> Although they've got to the age now where I'm like, we're going to do it together. It's a game. <laughs> it's a game called Clean the Restaurant. And they, do they, do they buy it? They love it. They, wow. I mean, it, it will only last so long until they realise that I am hoodwinking them <laughs> and that actually they're cleaning up mess. But for them now, they think it's like role play game of like, we run a restaurant and we I clean our that. tables and the floor down and stuff. I love that. And also, oh, you have the, kids, isn't it? So they can end up doing the dishwasher. <laughs> no, Poppy's did it. So, you know, she got them doing stuff. We do have chickens and our kids collected the eggs today and then they watered all the plants. And I was like, this is a good moment. I'm going to leave the house now because I feel like I'm winning. It's already all fallen to pot since I've left. But that felt really good, getting them to do those things. Well, that sounds magical. Well, you know, last night was an awful bedtime. So the least they could do is collect eggs today and, you know, water the plants. So your eldest is now in school. Yes. How has this new chapter been? You know what? She's having such a good time. 
she's having so much fun and that is the main thing we chose a school that we thought was going to give her fun and joy and happiness above all else and she's just having a wonderful time and she's met some really lovely kids and I actually really surprised myself with the friendships I've made in this first year with the other parents as well I didn't think I would I was very kind of like I have my friends and I'm done and I'm good thanks and actually there's these amazing people and these amazing women we've just become this like support network for each other Mm. it's like this whole new little community so I've loved that yeah I love that it's a whole new chapter though I feel like once they get to that point it's like oh there you are for years now like your life is dictated to like school holidays I don't mean to be soppy about it but I do miss her as well a lot you know I miss she said to me the other day because I take my little one and she does nursery a few mornings a week but we have mama days and my father said well why don't I get a mama day and I was like well you do because I pick you up some afternoons and then we have like time just me and you she's like I want a whole mama day and I was like okay okay holidays are coming we can do that (laughs) (laughs) and you're still really busy from what you've told me as well having kids being pregnant that's your time to really get creative you don't yeah. you don't ease off so I did ease off in some ways as in I stopped all my formal work yeah so I stopped all my kind of commitments in a way I had a break from mm. all of that I found myself wanting to prove to myself I could still think yeah <laughs> that sounds really strange but I really wasn't sure I could I was like <laughs> I don't know if my brain works anymore and I remember with my second daughter she was on the boob we're having a breastfeed and I was sitting there. She was about three weeks old and I had the pump next to me and I was looking at the pump sort of with deep hatred for this pump. And I was just thinking, am I just a milk machine? Is that what I am? A sort of human cow. <laughs> and that's all I'll ever be. And, you know, in that moment, you can't see yeah. out of anything but that moment. And I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to see if I can write something. And I'd had this idea for a children's book for some time. And I just got my phone out while she was sort of there on me. I got the notes part of my phone and I just started typing a kid's story about a bee with pink stripes. And I typed it all out and I was like, no, that's ridiculous. Nothing will ever come of it. And then I read it to my best mate and she was like, this is good. This is really good. I sent it to, I've got a literary agent Mm -hmm. who'd done my first book from the podcast and he was like, I love it. And so... He just sent it around and, yeah, that's how that book came about. New book, baby. New book, Babu the Unusual Bee. So that's coming out in September. And I think that really was me kind of trying to challenge myself to be a human other than a mum. Because it was my second child as well. I knew how much of yourself you give to your children and how much... I don't want to say you lose yourself, but you you have to kind of park part of yourself for a while. And they need so much and they want so much and they're asking so much. And you feel like you're constantly being asked for things in certain ways. When they're babies, it's through cries. And then when Mm -hmm. they can talk, it's through just asking and pulling on you. (laughs) And so I just wanted to kind of prove that I was still a living person with my own mind and thoughts (laughs) and do that. And then with my first baby... I directed my first short film a week before I gave birth. So that was an interesting choice. But I think it was just the way the cards fell. And yeah. um, and then obviously she came and we had to shoot one more day. So I just sort of had her in a little, strapped onto me in a little, what are they called? The little sling. Yeah. We went and did that. And then we had the first year I kind of had to edit it. But it was nice. There was no time scale. We were making the short film for ourselves and we didn't have a deadline. So it was kind of like as and when. And it's nice to have something to kind of go occasionally and just be away from the chaos mm-hmm. of the new baby so I took my time I mean it took a year for me to edit a 10 minute short film with our amazing editor and my best mate 
And so I was really lucky to be able to just take that time but have something. Mm -hmm. So I didn't feel like I was solely dedicated to other people that I had something just for me. I love that so much. If you could write a letter on motherhood, who would it be to and what would you say? I want to say that I'd write it to my daughters because I think that's the nice thing to do, isn't it? That's the motherly thing to do. But I think (laughs) I would write it to my younger self and just say, just give yourself a break. Stop worrying about what everyone else thinks. This is the moment in your life to be in your own bubble with your Mm. own family and stop worrying about the external world. It doesn't matter what they think and it doesn't matter if they think you're doing it right or wrong and just enjoy as much as you can the moment, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's working, whether it's staying home, whether it's trying to juggle, like just enjoy it. I'm such a people pleaser and I just wish I hadn't been when it was with my own little family because it's such a magical moment in a way. It's so hard but you can't get that time back. And I feel like that's almost an annoying thing to say because it's like the pressure then to enjoy it. But it does go fast. And I think that's what I would just say. Just give yourself a break. Mm. Don't be so hard on yourself and just do it your way. Yeah, I like that. And we end the podcast with you completing three sentences. Okay. (laughs) The first one is being a mum means... Having to rethink what it means to be a good human. Mmm... It can get quite philosophical, the discussions you have with children when they start questioning, but why do I have to do things this way? Yeah. And it's things we accept because we've been taught them as children. But when you break it down, you go, well, maybe we don't. Or you have to really think about why. And it becomes, it can get quite deep. You know, why do I have to share my toys? But then if someone else has something, I can't just take it and share it with them. You know, just why can I be in my pants on the beach, but not in school? All these sort of mm-hmm. things that don't really make sense when you look yeah. at them. So I think it's a really amazing chance to rethink the rules of life and yeah. question them for yourself. Yeah, I'm really grateful to my kids for that. (laughs) Uh, Since having children, I have washed a lot less. (laughs) (laughs) Probably stunk a lot more. Um, I saw someone on Instagram saying they understand why, I think it was Daddy Bear's porridge was hot, too hot. (laughs) Mummy Bear's porridge was too cold and Baby Bear's was just right. And I think it's that thing of you do put yourself last. um, And I think all parents probably do to some extent, but you end up just sort of like forgetting a little bit. And I think that is one thing that is quite important to remember is that parenthood is a journey. But remember to take yourself along for the ride Mm. because you can forget that you are an individual person at the same time and you can give so much of yourself away. Mm. So trying to take a little piece of you on that motherhood journey, yeah, it's really important. And finally, I'm happy when? I'm happy when I wake up in the morning and my kids jump on me for the morning cuddles and just kiss me all over my face and say, love you, mama. That is honestly my happiest moment. And it's just the nicest way to be woken up in the morning. That's lovely. I just get, can I go downstairs now? (laughs) Listen, sometimes I get a boot in the face and they're (laughs) farting on me. And, you know, that happens too. But when it's the morning cuddles and the love you, mamas, that to me is bliss. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. My mornings are, um, can I go downstairs now? And then I go downstairs now at the age where they make themselves a little bit of breakfast. Stunning. I feel like that's when you just can like relax, surely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'll go have a shower. I'll come down. It's all good. Can they make you breakfast though? That's no, the, that's the important part. Whether I want a bowl part. of Cheerios or not. That's, that's the real <laughs> You need question. to teach them to do a fry up yeah. next and then you've nailed it. <laughs> there we go. Thank you so much, Birdie. That was amazing. It's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you for you. having me. Thank you. <laughs>
we have something very exciting to talk about today. Happy mum, happy baby. Well, we are expanding. We're only releasing our very first record. Yes, move over McFly, move over Tom Fletcher. It's all about happy mum, happy baby. We're going into music, people. We have teamed up with Decca Records and LifeScore to build a one-stop shop for quality, trustworthy, educational music for baby, toddler and parent. Music is such a massive part of our family and I'm so thrilled with what we've created. I can't wait for you to hear it. Now, it's worth saying that all the sounds in the album, they are played by real instruments and they feature real nature sounds. There is nothing processed. It is all organic. And all of the music aims to be enjoyable listening experience for both the child and the parent. No plonky plonky piano. It's all just beautiful musicians with their instruments. Honestly, it's a joy to listen to. We all know the number one rule for getting your little one to sleep is to stick to a trusted routine. And my hope with this album is that our creation can be a part of that and make bedtime an easier transition for all. The Ultimate Baby Sleep album is here and it encompasses three parts of baby sleep. And it runs in three sections. Wind down, going to sleep and staying asleep, running seamlessly from top to bottom for the ultimate baby sleep experience. And each section lasts around 30 minutes. So let's delve into each section and tell you what they're about. The wind down is a perfect calming music for bath time and any other pre-bed activity. This encourages special bonding time between parent and baby to prepare for sleep. The melodies I've chosen to feature within the music have a very special place within my own experience of sleep routine. I loved singing little ditties or little lullabies and, and this, it's just got that lovely, gentle, melodic feeling to it. The melodies can be easily hummed by parents to capture the bonding power of a parent's voice. And actually, as you listen to the music, you might even catch a few melodies of some traditional classics that were just... Ah, oh, they just fill my heart with such love. The next section we have is called Going to Sleep. How we created this was so interesting and I absolutely loved the recording process to kind of really feel that breath actually of the musicians as they were playing. It also features natural sounds and it entwines the lullabies from the previous wind down to encourage baby to nod off at their own pace and in a relaxed state of mind. Those two sections, they kind of work together and they build. We've found that this is the ideal transition for baby to acknowledge that it is now time to go to sleep. And then the next section, the final section, is during sleep or staying asleep. I like to call it staying asleep because that's the dream, people. But it provides 30 minutes of natural and environmental white noise derived from nature sounds. And then actually this leads into an additional nine and a half hours of natural white noise for babies to prefer continuous white noise once asleep. No waking up in the middle of the night to press a little button on a sheep. Not anymore. There's been so much thought and love poured into these tracks. We've gone through so many different versions. I've pulled on the music that I love, that makes me feel nice and calm. And together with LifeScore and Decca Records, we've really created something that I feel is really magical. I've played it to my kids. They love it. I'm so thrilled. <laughs> Could you imagine they didn't? And actually, I have to say that even as an adult, sitting at my desk and listening to different versions, I have often fallen asleep in the best way, in a very contented way. Some might call it work, some might call it a nice little nap. 
Either way, I loved it and it was all because of this album. With 12 hours of continuous music to help your baby sleep through the night, we are so proud to introduce you to Happy Mum, Happy Baby, The Sleep Album. I can't wait for you to hear it and then for you to tell me how you're getting on. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.